It's hard to believe that we are already in week four of our series, Jonah, God's Relentless Mercy. While the past three weeks have seemingly flown by for us, for Jonah, it's been a little bit different. He's been on quite the wild ride. Jonah's been on a journey of twists and turns and ups and downs, and we've followed this prophet as he has run from the Lord, been thrown into the sea. He's drifted down to the depths of the Mediterranean and headed towards certain death. And it's at this low point that God, out of nowhere, appoints a fish that swallows him where he stays for three days and three nights. Now, throughout the story, Jonah has been the poster boy for someone whose heart has been completely hardened, someone who's been disobedient to the max. He's done everything that he possibly can to, that is in complete opposition to what God has said. He's been completely disobedient. But it's as he's in this disgusting belly of a fish, he's in the darkest moment of his life that he finally begins to see the light. And what happens here is perfectly perfectly described by Pastor Tim Keller, that the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. It's in this bottom place that Jonah learns of God's mercy and grace and finally cries out and prays to the Lord In doing so, he recognizes how far off he's gone and gives God praise for the salvation of his soul. It's now that his heart begins to change. It's in this confessing moment that his heart of stone begins to melt and Jonah is then vomited out onto the dry land. And he comes out of this dark place with new life and a new start. And throughout Jonah's roller coaster ride, God's been relentlessly merciful. He's been there pursuing Jonah and working to restore his heart and to restore his relationship with him. And as all that has happened, we now are brought to today. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And as we turn to Jonah chapter 3, we'll see that a lot happens in these 10 verses. And even though a lot happens, we're going to zero in and focus on two main things. And since God's mercy is the overarching theme of this book, we're going to focus on two functions of God's mercy at work here in chapter 3. And the first of those is God's transformative mercy. God's transformative mercy. Now to get a glimpse of what this actually means, let's first look at the most obvious example that we have in Jonah whose transformation at this point has been nothing short of a miraculous example of God's mercy in someone's life. We look at starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. His prayer in chapter 2 highlights the beginning of this heart change, this heart transformation. The beginnings of God working in his life, of him being formed by God's transformative mercy. And it's in his response here to God's second call to go to Nineveh in chapter 3 that we really see the evidence of that transformation. And this time, Jonah arises and goes according to the word of the Lord. He has gone from being disobedient to obedient. The way that Jonah was at the beginning of the book is starting to change. We're seeing a shift. And it's not that he's a finished product. So I don't want you to think that we say Jonah went through this and now he's, he's good. He's perfect. He's right. And everything's good to go. 
No, but it's, it's about, he's in this process of being spiritually formed. He's in a formational process. It's just starting. And this is true of the work of God in our own lives as well, that we're not finished products. Even as we give our life to Christ, as we begin that journey, we're not at the end yet. It's not over. And I don't know about you, but like, I praise the Lord for that because if I was a finished product, I'd be pretty scared of finished products. So I'm thankful that God is still working and moving and shaping me each and every single day. He's changing us to be formed more and more into the likeness of himself. This is what's called sanctification. The power of God working in us to make us more holy, to make us more like him. This is a process. Now, I don't know if you've read the books uh, by C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia books. It's a whole series of them. They're all wonderful. Go read them all. But in one book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, C.S. Lewis has this beautiful like, description of the process of change going in a child. And he, he writes this. He says, one of the characters says this uh, of the, the child Eustace. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. And that describes exactly what God's doing in us. It describes exactly what God's doing in Jonah. The cure has begun. Now, before we build on that a little bit more, I want to take a look at one more thing. And that's if we look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Jonah answers the call and he goes, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah's message to Nineveh here is that Nineveh is going to be overthrown, right? Now, this is what's kind of interesting about this. This Hebrew word here, overthrown, can have two different meanings. It can be understood two different ways. And in, uh, on our website, on the, the resources for the sermon series, Philip Carey's commentary on this explains this even more. And that's a wonderful commentary that I encourage you to check out. And the first way of understanding this is exactly what you think when you hear it, overthrown. Kind of more attuned to like turned over and akin to destroy. It's what is used to describe what God does to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That kind of destruction, an actual destroying of a place. The other meaning that we see is to overturn, but it's in the same way and same vein as to turn around. To be turned upside down, as in repentance. Now, while Jonah's understanding of this is not yet revealed... Because we're going to see what Jonah's understanding of this is in chapter 4. The important thing is is what God means by that. What God's meaning of this message that Jonah gives. And that is the latter. And we know that because you see these people. To repent, to turn around, to turn things from one one thing into another, to be transformed. That's what takes place in Nineveh. Whether that was Jonah's intention or not, kind of doesn't matter so much, right? Because it's what God does is what's important. And what Jonah says here is a foreshadowing of God, what God is about to do in an entire city. So we see that in verse 5 as we continue that passage. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a pass fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The word reached the king in Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. He issued a public proclamation and decree saying, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Talk about God's transformative mercy at work, right? I mean, this is incredible. The beginning of the process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like God. Aren't his words ringing true, whether he meant that or not for Jonah? I mean, chapter 1, verse 2, God describes these people as people whose evil has come up before him. The king himself, in verse 8 here in chapter 3, says, Uh, guys, we need to turn from our violence and evil ways. Like, they know how far off they are. They know that they're, they are now aware of their people in need of God's transformative mercy. And the, the amazing thing is, Nineveh hasn't done anything to deserve that. Right? They didn't all of a sudden like change and they're like, all right, guys, we're working hard and now maybe God will do this. They receive this word and God begins to change and makes them aware of the distance that has formed between himself and this, this city. And God's transforming mercy is yielding change, not punishment. God's transforming mercy is yielding change, not punishment. And it's that type of change that draws us closer to him. That he restores our hearts, he strengthens our relationship with him. And as he makes those changes, as he transforms us each and every single day, we are able to be in his presence more and more. And the closer we are to God, the more we become like him. I mean, look at Jonah's trajectory. Isn't that true? The further away from God he was, the less like God he acted. The closer to God he became, the more of God's character he began to reflect. Nineveh as well. Their people are far off from God and their lives reflect that in everything they do. And here, the moment they hear just a, that's, that call out to Nineveh is five Hebrew words. What Jonah says here, what's recorded at least, is five Hebrew words and an entire city gets turned upside down. These people, all these characters in the story show the power of God at work in the way that he changes our hearts and our lives. So I want to ask you to take a look at your own life too. Think about your own walk with God. Doesn't it kind of support that as well? That the closer you are to God, the more you become like him. The closer you are to God, the more you become like him. So I was talking to someone uh, about their experience during Lent, and Lent is a season in the church that is about 40 days long, and it's from Ash Wednesday to Easter, and it's usually a period marked by fasting and reflection, you know, reflection upon, uh, and we kind of zero in on Jesus' time in the desert as he's tempted for 40 days. And after engaging in the season of Lent, of kind of taking on these extra Lenten practices, I was talking to this person, and they said, you know, I feel so different after Lent. (laughs) <laughs> after going to all the services and the fasting and doing all the devotionals and the prayers, like, I feel closer to God and my life looks more like Jesus that I read in the Bible. 
And they were like, I can't, that's kind of, I don't know what to do with that. And my response, like, try to keep the excitement down, you know, just a little bit to not, like, scare them too much. But I was like, yes, that's it. That's the point of it. Doesn't it make sense? I mean, it makes sense, right? The more time we spend with God, the more we become like him. And the more we do these things, the more we engage in these practices, the more that God works in those things to draw us closer to him and to transform us to make us look more and more like him. Our mind, our body, our spirit, our actions, everything changes. And that's not just good news, that's gospel news right there. I mean, this story has shown us the deadly, deadly effects of sin. The tragedy and travesty that comes with us being separated from the Lord. The hopelessness that we have in life. What is there to live for? And that's why it's so important for us to continue to pray, to worship together, to read our Bibles, to get involved and engaged in life groups. Because these are the things that God uses to work in us, work through us, and to transform us and to make us more and more like Him. It's how we spend time with Him. We do it as groups, and we do it one-on-one. It's just like with any other relationship. We hang out with people in groups, and we hang out with people one-on-one. It's what builds relationships. It's what builds community. And the more time that we spend with people, we probably begin to take on some of those traits. I mean, if people pick up accents when they visit other countries by going on vacation for a week or two, just imagine what God can do when we spend every waking moment in his presence. It's not just a trend for a, a couple days or a couple weeks. It's a transformation that takes root in our entire lives and changes our entire destiny for eternity. It'll become more and more permanent the more and more we're with him. God's mercy changes us, transforms us. When we encounter the presence of God, we're different And here's where things get better. This is what just blows my mind about the way God works in our lives. That that transformation that we experience through his mercy is to be shared with others so that others can experience the same thing. And this brings us to our second function of God's mercy. God's evangelistic mercy. We see this back in verse 1. This kind of, we look back again. Lord, word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes. Jonah experiences God's transformative mercy in his life. And the result isn't comfort and it's not stagnation. It's not to be stored up for himself. But as he receives this and is given new life, he is called to action. And he's called to mission. He receives mercy so that he can be sent out to share and give mercy. That's not just him. I mean, look at what happened when we read through what happened in Nineveh. It started with the people in the city, and it just spread, right? It goes to the king, and then the king sends a decree from him and the nobles. I mean, this is everybody. It's like, uh, like a viral tweet going off, right? We see Twitter already at work in Nineveh, you know, thousands of years ago. The message spreads. It goes viral, It's something that cannot be contained. And that's the work of God's evangelistic mercy. It spreads through teaching, through preaching, through personal witness, through our very lives and everything that we do. It's not stagnant and stationary. It's on the move. It's being shared. 
And as we're transformed to share God's mercy, what's amazing is that these two functions aren't independent, but they're synergistic. You know, if you could quantify, you know, the way God works, you can't. But if you could, we would see that, like, these two things independently, the output of them working together, the synergy of that is greater than those independent parts alone. That's the way God works. That's the way he moves. And when they do so, it becomes clear that God works in us so that he can work through that, us. Let me say that again. God works in us so that he can work through us. I mean, Jonah's been called to a city that we now see as self-identified as violent, dangerous, and evil. And his first response is to run. Mine probably would be too. I'd be a little frightened if I was called to go someplace that's known for violence and evil. And he's so scared. He's so scared that his own life and his relationship with God are expendable to him. Because he would rather die than go into that place of fear. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. It didn't make sense for him to go. So instead he ran. And as he couldn't get farther away, God's transforming mercy dives deep into the depths of his heart. And look at what God did through that. This doesn't mean that Jonah thought it was a good idea. It doesn't mean that Jonah was comfortable. It doesn't mean Jonah was excited. But Jonah was obedient. And he went. Whether he was comfortable or not, God told him to go. Whether he was comfortable or not, he went. And there's an important message for us in this. That God's mercy has, transform, has not transformed us to be comfortable and stagnant. God's mercy transforms us to be faithful and active. As we are experiencing God's mercy in our lives today, he's transforming us. He's changing us to be faithful to him and active in sharing his mercy. And as God works in you and restores your heart, he's going to call you places to go to, that you're not comfortable with. He's going to call me to go places that I'm not comfortable with. He's going to call us to go and meet with people and talk with people and have a relationship with people that we may be angry with, that we may hate, that we may be scared to death of. Maybe it's people that we love and it's the exact people we love to go to, but they're also the hardest people to share our hearts with. Whatever it is, whatever the reason may be, it's not about comfort, it's about faithfulness. You know, because as a Western American culture, I think comfort's a pretty high priority for us. You could probably look at just about every single advertisement out there. Comfort and luxury are big things for us. But we see when it comes to our faith, that God moves in us to make us a little uncomfortable. To ask us to step out in faith. And yeah, that's, that's going to be scary. And I don't, I don't want to you know, sit here and tell you it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies and, and the fear is going to go because that stuff's real and life is real. But God isn't calling us to just sit there and kind of float in the wind. He's calling us to go. Make disciples of all nations. He called Israel to be a light to the nations, not a light for their own bedrooms. And this call is for all Christians, all believers. It's not a call for the extroverts. It's not a call for the dynamic personalities. It's not a call for the salesmen and the quick-witted. It's a call for all those who have received his transforming mercy in their lives. It doesn't matter if you're 2 or 20 
or 60 or 80. It's a call for those who have been transformed by his mercy. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are called to be on mission, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And so I want to ask you here this morning, what's your mission and where does it start? Where's God calling you? Could it be family, friend, neighbor, relative? Could it be someone in your workplace? Could it be your entire workplace? Could it be Houston? Could it be Mexico or Africa? Whatever it is, whoever it is, God's calling you to join him on what he's doing. And he doesn't send you alone because he's working in you and through you and changing you to empower you. He sends us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his presence, his very presence to strengthen us and to guide us. And we see that we as just what we may think are small people can do big things when God's on our side. In Jonah, God uses the salvation and restoration of one Hebrew sinner to produce the salvation of an entire Ninevite city. Just think of what God could do through you. Think of what God could do through the church. Now, regardless of how or why you're here today, how you got here, maybe you just accidentally stumbled in here this morning. God's brought you here. and He's moving and working in each of us to transform us. And this can be very easy to push against some of this stuff because it is scary to explain away that part of God's restorative work to think, look, I'm not ready. I don't even know where I'm at. What if I say something wrong? What if I offend somebody? And these are all valid, reasonable questions and questions that we need to prayerfully consider and prayerfully discern and fast through. But if our gut response is to kick back, to kick back like Jonah, maybe it's not as drastic, but kick back nonetheless, I just want to offer this. Trust in the power of God's mercy. Trust in the power of God's mercy over everything else. Don't worry so much about your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, your deficiencies, whatever it is. Trust. Trust in the God who restored this prophet's hard heart. Trust in the God who changed the city. Trust in the God who can control nature. Trust in the God who changes our lives. And I know that's easier said than done. We're going to see that in Jonah. It's a lot easier said than done. And our circumstances of life could be messy. But the good news is, the gospel shows us that it's not about us. It's not. It's not dependent on us. We don't need to worry about us saving people. So free yourself of that. We don't save anybody. But we allow God to work through us so that he can save people. It's not about our strength, but the strength that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, again, we don't offer salvation. We just point to the one who does. And the more we're transformed, the more we experience God, the more we're in his presence, the more, like we sang, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, the more the Holy Spirit is, is root, taking root in our lives, this is going to flow out of us naturally. Like Martin Luther wrote, if he have faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself. He breaks out. He confesses and teaches this gospel to the people at the risk of life itself. This is what the transforming mercy of God does. We're so taken over by the work in our hearts 
that it just flows and we don't even know. And just as Jonah proclaimed and prayed when he was in the belly of that fish, we will join him in saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen and amen. This is the life that God gives us. This is the life that we get to offer. We get to offer people who do not know him. We have the joy and the blessing of joining God in his mission to spread his evangelistic mercy and his transforming mercy to everybody. Now, at this moment in Jonah's life, looks like he's on the rise, right? He's gone through the ringer and he look, he's come out on dry land. Praise the Lord for that. But as that quote from Lewis and the story of Voyage of the Dawn Treader shows, like, mm, there's still struggles. It's still hard. It's not going to come easy and it's not going to be instantaneous. And as we will look at, which is hard to believe, next week is our last week in this series, we're going to see what that's like and what God does with that. How does God remain merciful when we do go through those crazy ebbs and flows of life and faith? But as we close today, as we experience God's transforming mercy, we're sent out. We leave here today in the process of being made holy, in the process of being transformed and sent into the world to share that good news. What a good God we serve. What a good God we serve. Now, if you would, please stand with me. As a way of wrapping this up in this missional call that we have as part of this transformation process, I'd like for us to join in this, this prayer, this collect. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. The, as part of the Anglican Church in North America, we get the joy of joining with Anglicans around the world. And we have a new book to help guide us in our prayer and our worship. And uh, this is specifically what's called a prayer for mission. So this prayer has been written specifically for moments like this, that we ask God to empower us and send us out into the world. So if you would, please pray with this. Pray this with me. We can get it on the screens. I think it's up there. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, you manifested your love by sending your only begotten Son into the world, that all might live through him. Pour out your Spirit on your church, that we may fulfill his command to preach the gospel to all people. Send forth laborers into your harvest. Defend them in all dangers and temptations and hasten the time when the fullness of the Gentiles shall be gathered in and faithful Israel shall be saved. Through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, if we, uh, you would remain standing, let us join together uh, being sent and proclaim uh, our faith through the words of the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God. Father the Almighty.